Hashtag SAFM Weekend View It's Youth Day and Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, by the way. I'm John Kerrick in for Elvis Presley today. It's a good day. The Sharks won and got through to the quarterfinals of Super Rugby. And the Proteas won yesterday as well, which is also good news. So it's a good news Sunday. Uh, some not-so-good news happening in the Boitomaleng uh, Township. Peer pressure is forcing the youth at that township in Blumhof in the northwest to turn to gangsterism. Youths in the area say they are forced to join gangs due to a lack of sporting and recreational facilities. The youths want government to build sports and recreation facilities in the area. Meanwhile, this year, Youth Month is commemorated under the theme 25 Years of Democracy, a celebration of youth activism. We're asking what needs to be done to keep the youth safe and to encourage them to become active citizens. So it's a little bit of a tricky question today. What needs to be done to keep our youth safe and to encourage them to be active citizens. Share your views with us, the regular ways to get hold of us. SMS 41391 at 1 Rand 50. And obviously we're on Twitter as well, at SAFM Weekend. Uh, at The Weekend View is the Twitter handle, the official one. At The Weekend View, you can also find us on SAFM Radio. What needs to be done to keep our youth safe and to encourage them to be active citizens? That SMS number again, 41391. So have a look see at the weather brought to you by the SA Weather Service. Extremely high fire conditions are expected over the Dr. Bayes Nordea local municipality of the Eastern Cape and the central Karoo district of the Western Cape today. And there's two special weather advisories. A heat wave with persistently high temperatures expected over the Richtersfeld region of the Northern Cape until today. And severe frost expected in places in the northern interior of the Eastern Cape. It's a great country, eh? <laughs> We've got a heat wave over here. We've got extreme frost over there. That's what. What's lovely about this country? Um, by the way, every single town that we're going to go through today is fine. There's not a cloud in the sky today, according to the weather service. So Pretoria from 4 to 22, Johannesburg 2 to 21, Vereniging 0 to 21, all fine. Mbombela, Polokwane, Maikeng, all fine. Mbombela, 723, Polokwane, 423, and Maikeng from 3 to 23, Freiburg, 0 to a high of 22. Bloemfontein and Kimberley also fine. Uppington also fine. Bloemfontein starting at minus two this morning, going to a high of 20. Kimberley zero to 21. Uppington five to 24. Even Cape Town today is fine. A light northeasterly becoming a moderate westerly from a low of 10 to a high of 20. George, a light northeasterly becoming moderate southwesterly during the afternoon from a low of six to a high of 23. Port Elizabeth, fine. Light to moderate northerly, six to 24. East London, light northwesterly, becoming a moderate northeasterly towards midday from a low of 10 to a high of 23. Durban will be fine, moderate southwesterly, becoming northeasterly in the late afternoon, 9 to 23. Richards Bay will be fine with a moderate westerly to southwesterly, becoming northerly to northeasterly in the evening. Perfect day, 10 to 24. And Peter Marisburg will be fine, 2 to 22. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105 FM in Peter Maritzburg. 
Hopefully it's a beautiful day for you as well. Now, the University of Cape Town Vice-Chancellor, Professor Mamukheti Pakang, says South Africans should blame themselves for failing to implement multilingualism in schools over the past 25 years. She was speaking at the 4th Tsitsi Mashinini Memorial Lecture at the Morris Isaacson in Soweto. The event was organized as part of the June the 16th Soweto student uprisings, of which Mashinini was the chief organizer. The lecture was also attended by UJ Vice-Chancellor, Professor Chitsi Marwala, Judge President Dustin Mlambo, Advocate Majunka Gumbi, and members of the Mashinini family. A political correspondent in Teba Mokoba was also there and filed this report. Going down memory lane, T.H.T. McDonald machine in his contemporaries gathered to remember him. Exactly 43 years ago on this day, Mashinini led thousands of learners in Soweto in a protest march that forever changed South Africa's political landscape. In 1976, Mashinini led a fight against the apartheid government's forceful use of Afrikaans language as a medium of instruction in black schools. And in 1997, the democratic government adopted the language policy, which recognized all 11 official languages. But Professor Mamukheti Pakeim from the University of Cape Town said despite this progressive move, not much has been done by the current government to give value to African languages, as Mashinina would have laughed. Well, if we do not get our mathematics education together, we will talk about the fourth industrial revolution. At best, we will be users and boast about being users and what you use and where it comes from. We will never be creators. And that's why I want us to pause with the celebration and critique ourselves and not critique the other. We are in power. We are in power. It's 25 years. Time to critique the other is over. It's time to do for ourselves. Professor Pagan said South Africans have only themselves to blame for failing to fully implement the country's language policy of multilingualism. This is 25 years after democracy. We don't have anyone to blame. We are in power, and we have a very progressive language policy. We're going to ask why. And my view, the reason why, comes from the fact that language is political. And I think we, as South Africans, haven't yet grasped the political nature of language. Language was central to the ideology of apartheid in South Africa. It was used to classify, to segregate, and polarize. The underdevelopment of African languages during apartheid was part of a larger social engineering project. A counterpart from the University of Johannesburg, Professor Chilizi Marwala, urged the youth of today to embrace the fourth industrial revolution to help set the country on a growth path. He said Mashinini has done his part to change the country for the better, insisting that he lived to fulfill his mission. How did such a young man, Tieti Mashinini, lead a revolution that changed the face of resistance 
against apartheid. To understand this question, one needs to understand Franz Fanon, who stated that, and I quote, each generation must, out of relative obscurity, discover its mission, fulfill it, or betray it. Close quote. At that time, Tieti Mashinini discovered his mission, which was to liberate his people. He decided to fulfill that mission, not to betray it. And recently, with violence having engulfed South African schools, the Mashinini family said their son would have been disappointed to see centers of learning being turned into battlegrounds and killing fields. I am Tebumokobo in Soweto. John Herica on SAFM. Let's get to our talking point story today. Peer pressure is forcing youths at the Boy Temelung Township in Blumhof in the northwest to turn to gangsterism. Youths in the area say they're forced to join gangs due to lack of sporting and recreational facilities. They want government to build sports and facilities in the area. Zebulon Main reports. <laughs> Youth roaming the street is a first sight when one enters Wittumelon Township in Blumhof. Others converge at street corners to play games and while away time. Some spend their time next to tax shops asking for small change from customers. But some have resorted to the dangerous life of gangsterism. Wittumelon is the turf for four gangs known as SVK, VL, Money Lover and Dog for Money. Some of them say they dropped out of school due to the influence of their friends. These gangsters have been terrorizing the community by robbing them of their belongings. Last year, residents searched for and assaulted the alleged gangsters. Three of them died due to injuries sustained, while more than 30 were severely beaten and hospitalized. 18-year-old Tsepo Tahani is a member of VL gang. He dropped out of school while he was in grade 9. He wants to call a quit but has a request for government. I want them to create sports facilities in our location so that gangsterism can decrease and also job opportunity is needed so that we should stop robbing people and do all other bad things. 25-year-old Lubakeng October quits the Dog for Money gang to seek employment so that he can support his two children. He has not yet succeeded in the job market, but the job hunt continues. We had fights with other gangs until I realized now that I have two children and I need to find a job. All I want in life now, I want to be employed so that I can support my children. A member of the SVK gang, Mujale Falefola, says he has joined a soccer team with the intention of turning his life around. Now our location is quiet and we want it to move forward. The reason why I opted to join soccer is because it will assist me to get out of the streets. Others are trying to recruit youth to a better life of sports and entertainment. One such person is a 29-year-old Mosa Monyani who's into music. He says he's hoping to encourage other young people like him to live a positive life besides drug and gangsterism. We have our own studio, but I'm, I'm, I'm unable to assist like most of them. So I'm trying my best to do what I can do. Hopefully the government would assist where they can so that we can be able to build the community that we, we're hoping for. A local football coach, Hendrik Tejan, is also trying his bit to better the lives of the youth here. 
I'm trying to bring these guys to the soccer field again because they were my uh, like before, like I've said before. These guys, uh, they were my uh, development team from the beginning. But uh, I don't know what what happened uh, before before they leave the, the 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 soccer to go to join join the the gangsterism. Provincial Police Spokesperson Brigadier Sabata Mukhabone says there are programs in place to encourage the youth to refrain from criminal activities. However, Mukhabone says they are aware that young people are coerced by others to join gangs. All our schools in the province are actually linked with SAPS and it is through that linkage that we have a, a crime prevention programs, uh, including visiting of school to talk to learners about various issues that are crime related and we are not doing that alone. We are doing that with other governments departments, you can think about social development, arts and culture, uh, municipalities and NGOs as well as uh, other entities. Although some gang members are on the verge of disassociating themselves from gangsterism, it remains to be seen whether the youth of Bitumeron community are willing to be rehabilitated for a future without crime. I'm Zebron Maine, Buitumiron Township, near Bloomhof, Northwest. Now, to further this discussion, we're joined on the line by the National Youth Development Agency's Lerato Gumbo. Lerato, thanks very much for joining us. The theme of this year is a celebration of youth activism. The number of gangs and crimes in community has increased. How do we keep the youth active? Uh, look, as the NYDA, we have noted the state of violence that cuts across our institutions, particularly learners uh, involved in these activities. So we as the NYDA, we have deliberately called for a curriculum reform that is able to teach, amongst other things, things that speak to discipline. So we as the NYDA, we celebrate uh, 43 years of, of the youth day. We will be delivering a message that speaks about hope, that actually speaks about a compulsory national incentives program. Uh, this program will be able to teach young people, as I've mentioned, for uh, the issues of discipline, the issues of patriotism, and most importantly, the fact that uh, they must be able to volunteer in their communities. Because we think that as the NYTA, this is able to cultivate a sense of patriotism amongst young people. These youths we just heard now in the Boitumalong Township asking for sporting and recreational facilities. Is, is that the answer? Look, uh, the reality of the matter is that uh, sports, amongst other things, is important for nation building and, and social cohesion. And we think that uh, there is an intervention that must come through. Uh, we need to see how we are able to ensure that sports becomes a critical part of our, our curriculum. Like we were saying that we have noted that a number of schools have actually uh, uh, led uh, this part of, 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 of education. Mm. So we think that it's a great call and that the youth are calling for anything that they need to get the necessary support. School violence is a big concern. We've heard about stabbings over the last few couple of weeks. What's your thoughts on all of that? Look, uh, our approach is that it, it definitely needs a multi-sectoral approach. Remember that uh, our education system uh, has a lot of stakeholders involved. So there needs to be a dialogue around uh, safety at schools. There needs to be a dialogue around how uh, parenting is happening in our country. Because some of these practices, learners, uh, they learn from home. Uh, as you know, that we are quite a violent nation. And therefore, we need to start a dialogue amongst ourselves as parents and also try and see how agencies like the NYDA are able to be at the center of deliberations on how we, we get uh, involved in school systems. You would know that uh, there is a the school governing body uh, that is at schools, uh, but there needs to be more support that we are giving to them. Uh, we need also to ensure that schools uh, are open in time and the teachers are doing what they're supposed to be doing. So you are you actively engaging parents then? Look, uh, 
you'd know that our mandate seeks particularly to talk to youth development. And we think that it's a, it's, a, it's a cutting across approach that we are doing. So like I'm saying that we are engaging the Department of Basic Education uh, about this because it is fed to their space. Uh, we want a situation when we work together with the Department of Basic Education. So when they create a platform for the NYDA to come into schools, the NYDA is readily available to come into their spaces and engage them. But you would know that uh, we've had successful programs with the Department of Basic Education, like your second chance metric rewrite program. It's one of our, our brainchild, and we have the NYDA handed it over upon realizing its successes and our, our financial limitations. So we think that working together with the Department of Basic Education, we can we can deal with violence, of course. Yeah, too, it's been 25 years of democracy. The highest number of unemployment people are the youth, 55.2%. What have you done to empower the youth? Uh, our, our annual report speaks for itself. Uh, we have done sufficient. Uh, we have able, in the last financial year, in the year under review, we have funded our 1,200 young entrepreneurs through our grant program. Uh, we have been able to also sustain jobs. But importantly, this year we've made the call to scrap experience as an entry requirement for level jobs uh, in government. And this has been legislated now and gazetted by government, which is one thing. But the second thing that we've been done is that uh, we have called for entrepreneurship to be part of the school curricula. Uh, because we believe that uh, entrepreneurship would not be a by-the-way issue. Uh, young people should be taught uh, to be entrepreneurs at an early age so that we are able to increase the number of our uh, active entrepreneurship as, as a country. Because you know that South Africa is among the lowest number of uh, entrepreneurial activities. Our young people are not interested. Uh, they see uh, entrepreneurship as a by-the-way when they are failing in other ventures after graduating from school. When will that come into place? Look, uh, the engagements are on. Uh, you would listen to the address of the executive chairperson today, uh, delivering a message of hope to many South Africans. But importantly, we need a commitment uh, from government. Uh, the sixth administration has been placed. Uh, we are happy that uh, for this administration, there is a vivid expression of a youth uh, within the women, youth, and people with disabilities as a minister. So we think that uh, the creation of that will be able to, to come down to provinces where you have seen in Gauteng uh, there is a, a Department of Education and Youth Empowerment. So we think that that is the approach that uh, all these other uh, provincial governments should take so that uh, we know that uh, youth development is not sporadic, it's rather cemented, and there is a similar approach towards it. Liato, I mean, I'm hearing you, and you're going to have a great talk, and you mentioned this number of 1,200 people. It's a drop in the ocean. Uh, I mean, it, is it as frustrating for you to be involved in this as it is for us not to see anything happen? I did not get that. Is it, are, are you as frustrated as the public are when you hear about the numbers of unemployed youth and the gangsterism and things? Look, uh, we have raised a concern, but we are, we are not despondent as the NYTA. What we are saying is that we have seen uh, two important uh, conferences one, there was a job summit that the president uh, convened. The second, uh, there was an investment conference. But we as the NYDA, as you know, we are not uh, despondent. We have said to the president, upon this uh, commitment that has been made, we need a clear monitoring and evaluation tool. That says we don't only uh, look at commitment. Uh, we need to see uh, the practicality thereof. That's why uh, it's important that the minister in the presidency are responsible for ensuring that at the end of the day, uh, we are able to, to see this come to us. Uh, but we, we are hopeful that uh, things are, are looking for the better. Okay, we'll keep holding our breath. NYDA spokesperson Lerato Gumbo, thanks very much for joining us. Hashtag SAFM Weekend View.
So you just heard from the National Youth Development Agency spokesperson there. I want to know from you what needs to be done to keep our youth safe and to encourage them to be active citizens. I'm hearing a lot of talk and not very much is being done. Uh, it's all very well talking about entrepreneurship. And yeah, sometime in the future, it'll be there. It should have been in there 25 years ago, maybe. What's your view? 41391 is our SMS number, charged at 1 round 50. 41391. Uh, hi, Jono. Love the say it's a human man. Get the youth off the streets and encourage them to play sports like cricket or soccer. That's from Errol Presley. Uh, let's get the facts right about SA Youth, says George. When youth embarrassed the perceived powerful apartheid system in 1976, it was realized how dangerous a sober black youth was. Yeah, and one day, George, you're right. It's it's easy to turn around again. History is easily repeating itself. Uh, why not use the youth? I think that's the wrong word. But why not have the youth build those sports facilities? They could be paid, which would help them, and give them pride in the finished product. I like that, Fiona. Uh, yeah, take pride in something. So get those youth to make a football field. Mike and Newlands, you've got a solution or two. <laughs> you said me, John, I don't, but I am a frustrated citizen. Uh, uh, what needs to be done, you ask? Well, I think we've got to acknowledge from the beginning that our education system has failed completely. We're setting up our, our, our youth actually to fail. Because our education is so poor, you know, it's grade five, can't read, can't read from any good group. You've even got Johnny Clegg is setting up an intervention. This should not be his job, or wonderful as it is. We should have the, um, um, our education should be accommodating this. But we've got 55% unemployed, the highest unemployment in the world. And with EWC, it's going to get worse. And uh, we need to look at the fact that when our children are leaving school, our people leave school, they are not leaving school with confidence and self-esteem. We're destroying that. And that needs to be corrected. And to do that, we need to stop the intervention of the unions in our school system. And we need to take back control of our, of our, of our schooling. And finally, the NPA and NYPA, well, so much hot air there, I think we should take all their money and just, just build some pit toilets or get rid of the pit toilets in our country. That surely is the biggest blight in our system. Thanks, John. Thank you very much. The one thing I heard from that interview uh, with the with the development agency is, yeah, they mentioned numbers about how many people they help, and it's. Uh, I was I was on an aeroplane uh, flying back from Marisburg this last weekend, uh, this last week, and I was sitting next to a government worker. You know, one of these workers that that's all they do. They're not elected officials. They that's they they work and they do their job and they're on the ground, and and she was saying she was working with food, and she was saying how. Uh, the ministers and the people in charge that talk to the media, they're all about the numbers. So, for example, it's to hand out food parcels. People need three food parcels a day, for example. But what the ministers or the elected officials will say is rather give out one food parcel to a person every day as opposed to three. Because then we can say that we're covering a million people. But one food parcel a day doesn't help anybody because it's not enough. You need three to go to those people. But it sounds great when you're handing out one food parcel a day because suddenly you're hitting three times as many people. And when John phones a spokesperson on the radio and says, like, what are you doing? Then they can say, well, we've helped three million people. You haven't because it doesn't help them at all. You are there, FM. What's your view? How do we help the youth? What can be done to make the youth safe, first of all, and to encourage them to become part of South Africa? You can also voice note us. 0826923909 is our WhatsApp number. 0826923909. Hashtag SAFM Weekend View. It's the weekend view. John Herricke in for Elvis Presley this morning. DA Chief Whip in Parliament, John Stearnhazen, has described it as a complete disgrace. 
for Parliament to be called into question by the Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo. Zondo, who's chairing the state to capture inquiry, wants Parliament to be investigated for its failure to execute its oversight role to prevent the looting of taxpayers' money. Stiernazen also says the DA will be a constructive opposition in the Sixth Parliament. He spoke in an interview with our parliamentary correspondent Mercedes Bessent on various issues. The Zondo Commission wants to know why the National Legislature failed to assist various whistleblowers, especially senior officials from the Reserve Bank, who had highlighted urgent cases that needed prosecuting for money laundering. In the response to the testimony from the Reserve Bank's Head of Financial Surveillance Department, Shiwa Masibuko, at the inquiry on Monday, the Deputy Chief Justice indicated that the probe into Parliament should be extended to the portfolio committees. If they have no explanation for not doing their job, and maybe that's part of the problem. And uh, one would need to look at whether or not uh, there's a capacity problem with portfolio committees or whether there were elements of state capture within portfolio committees themselves. I mean, uh, I already have had evidence of some witnesses who were in Parliament at certain stages who said Well, when I was raising this, I was told to take it easy or something like that. So so we need need to, to look at those things. So what you have told me is quite important. Thank you. And this is the DA Chief with John Steenhazen's response to the concerns Zondo raised about Parliament's failure to execute its oversight role over state institutions. It's a complete disgrace, just as the high-level panel report was a complete disgrace. The high-level panel report did the work that Parliament should have been doing. And here, I think uh, Judge Zondo has been absolutely clear and unequivocal that the Fifth Parliament and the Fourth Parliament failed in their duty to discharge their constitutional obligation to hold the executive organs of state accountable to it. And that's why this public protector case is going to be a litmus test. And Parliament needs to be an institution with teeth, where ministers who've done wrong fear Parliament. They fear coming to Parliament and because they know that they're going to be robustly and vigorously held to account for what they're doing. Stian Hazen says his party will be a constructive opposition in the Sixth Parliament and not oppose for the sake of being an opposition. He says the DA will work with any party in Parliament where it's necessary, including the ANC so I think that we have a good opportunity to give the uh, governing party a few lessons in this parliament. They've come back uh, weaker than they were before, a lot less members. Uh, they struggled with quorums before. Uh, it obviously means they're going to struggle in this parliament. But what we are going to do is be a constructive opposition, not to just oppose for opposition's sake. If there are proposals from whichever party in the House that we believe are good for South Africa and good for the people of South Africa, whether they're from the ANC, the EFF, the Freedom Front Plus or the UDM, we will support those. On the question of the DA stance on broad-based black economic empowerment, Stian Hazen says the DA in Parliament will continue to advocate for what he calls an inclusive empowerment model as an alternative to BEE. He believes that the triple BEE has failed to lift black people out of poverty The truth of the matter is that black households are now 10% poorer than they were at the start of BE. It clearly shows there's nothing broad-based and nothing empowering about it. It's the same connected cronies who keep being empowered over and over again. So what we need to do is look for an inclusive empowerment model uh, that takes into account a number of factors. But you cannot be blind to the fact that race is a proxy for disadvantage in South Africa. 
you only need to walk out of any business premises or home and walk 100 meters, and that stares you in the face. So we have to have found ways of ensuring that we have genuine empowerment that is broad-based and that ensures that we lift more people into the economy. Stian Hazen says the DA's position on expropriation of land without compensation remains the same, as the party does not believe that the constitution should be amended to allow expropriation of land without compensation. That report by parliamentary correspondent Mercedes Bissett. Don Gerica on SAFM. Time now for another edition of this week's Unedited. As usual, we engage our editors in the top stories of the week, uh, the week that was and the week ahead. Our editors this morning, SABC Foreign Desk Editor Sophie McQuenna coming up, Mail and Guardian Deputy Editor Birigod Trump. We're joined on the line by Birigod Trump, Deputy Editor at the Mail and Guardian. Thank you very much for joining us, Birigod. What's, what's the news that was? Well, I think one of the big stories for the week, if not the biggest story, was everything around the public protector mm. and the president, of course, and her reports and our questions around the reports. I think the other one that's also uh, very big is um, the, the fight also that she had with Tuli Maruntela. Tuli Maruntela finally coming out and criticize, criticizing her successor um, and in no uncertain terms. Um, the other one, a uh, one that has become a, a stalwart in our news agenda is the questions around the ANC Secretary General, one Ace Makashule. And um, while well, did he, didn't he, um, along with former President Jacob Zuma, assist um, in building up new parties to challenge the ANC? Um, and I mean, of course, we've got that commission of inquiry by the ANC, which will be looking into that. Um, the other story, I think we need to also look beyond our borders. The big one is Sudan. Um, more than 100 people killed by government forces as they continue to fight for a democratic country where the people's voice is truly heard. Um, that is also and was and continues to be a really big story. Let's start at the top of that then, Birigat. Uh As you said, Tuliman and Sellers continue this, this, this argument. It's quite dirty and quite public, isn't it? It is, you know. So, I mean, I think Suleiman Ansela has done pretty well and, you know, stuck to those, um, you know, uh, kind of unwritten rules, which is you don't come out and criticize your successor. But what happened was, Bususiwe um, Mkwebani said that Suleiman Ansela had also publicly pronounced on matters uh, which were not finalized. Um, this is after right. she was criticized for speaking out about um, uh, investigations into oh. the Bosasa donation to Philo Ramaphosa's campaign um, and other pronouncements. And then what you found was Tuli Marunsela saying, well, no, actually, I did not do that. <laughs> so that's then sparked of this back and forth. And this, of course, um, while it ends up with the question around, well, Tuli Marunsela asking, what did you do with my investigation into the Barter's Clue of Landing scandal? Mm. For those who don't recall that matter, that has to do with the Gupta family wedding where 200 guests um, landed at Water Air Force Base and they were treated as VIPs whisked into our country to attend this wedding at Sun City. Kibani then says, ah, oh, well, you know, there was nothing really in it. Um, I closed that investigation. Nobody to pursue. Um, Tuli Madancela says, well, I beg to differ. There were lots of avenues to pursue. Um, and this matter is now being taken up by the Zondo Commission. We're now joined by Sophie McQuenna, SABC Foreign Desk Editor in the studio. Thanks very much for joining us, Sophie. What's your big stories of the week?
The big story is it's Sudan. You know that the standoff continue, and uh, you know very well that the United Nations and the AU are trying very hard to ensure that the solution is found. But it looks like uh, it is going to be difficult for mm. the two institutions to ensure that uh, the parties are finally agreeing on how to handle this matter. It's such a difficult story to cover. Tell us how you cover it, because I imagine the public are going, well, it's Sudan, it's just more war, it's just continuous. How do you as a news organization make it relevant to us? It is very difficult when you take into consideration that this week there was no connectivity. The military took a decision to block the internet. Therefore, there's no flow of information. Mm. Here and there, you are able to pick up uh, some stuff, particularly those who are in Sudan speaking to other people outside Sudan telephonically, or perhaps uh, those who have been there and now leaving the country. But it is very, very difficult. It is very relevant to us Mm. in a sense that you know very well that uh, one of the primary tasks of the Department of International Relations in South Africa is to ensure that we continue to uh, participate in issues that affect the continent. Mm. And we know very well that uh, South Africa has previously been involved in places such as uh, uh, the DRC, Burundi, and even Sudan. You'd recall that the former president, Tabombegi, was appointed by the AU to be chair of the high-level panel Mm. that looks into the Dafu question. Therefore, we are involved. We have our soldiers there. You know that uh, we always send uh, soldiers to these peacekeeping missions. And therefore, South Africa is very involved in trying to ensure that there's peace and security and development on the continent. Is it being covered by other media organizations and is it being done well? It is. It is covered by other media organizations, but uh, like I indicated, it is very difficult mm. to be accredited, to be on the ground and to do the story. And uh, we, most of us, we also are looking at perhaps interacting with those journalists who are local, who mm. are doing the story. But you have to be very careful because you don't know. You can't really be able to process what they have gathered in terms of ensuring that it is well balanced. Right. You might have uh, a situation where uh, a reporter has been biased either to those who want uh, freedom and those who are saying we are now in charge. Therefore, it is very difficult. But Mm. I think uh, the media has done very well. Is there an end in sight for Sudan? I'm going to ask you the same question, Birgit. Well, you see, we've taken a slightly different approach where we haven't only focused on what's been happening in Khartoum. Um, And I think that history bears us out, recent history. I mean, you look at, um, for instance, you look at Egypt, right? And you look what happened um, in, in, in their capital. What you largely see is um, the middle classes coming out and people taking notes, um, and, and, and you see this mass popular protest. But Sudan has actually been at war for decades, mm. and so what we have, what what we're saying is, we can't just focus on people's um, needs and wants those who are in Khartoum at the moment. But we cannot go and, and ignore what is happening in Blue Nile State, what is happening in um, South Kordofur, what is happening in Darfur, um, uh, which are conflicts which have been going on, and then some say genocide, which has been going on for decades. And so those people's considerations, their fight, um, their specific wants, needs, um, must also be taken into consideration in any kind of negotiation with this military council. And that has been largely ignored. Because 
unfortunately, it's more likely that middle class ideas and concerns make it into the public domain. All right, let's talk about number two. Ace Makhashule is saying, was it a week or so ago that his Twitter account was hacked? Now there's the ATM <laughs> saga. Uh, the ANC is going to have lots of hearings about this man. Indeed. Um, look, Ace Makhashule seems to be in a, and, and from the get-go, you know, um, I think um, the, the war between him and Sir Ramaphosa it has always been close to the surface. Um, so, I mean, they represent different camps within the ANC, whereas you had, um, you know, the, the, CR, the CR on the one side and Jacob Zuma et al. on the other. Ace Makashula is now, is now firmly the face of the, of the other grouping and um, found himself at polar opposites to what the president says or mm. does repeatedly. So much so that he also has, um, he's, I mean, last week we had the situation with regard to the role of the Reserve Bank. And, you know, the, the question is uh, whether the, the Secretary General is pronouncing accurately and fairly on what his organization decides. And many within the organization are saying he does not. He seems to be pushing the line of a certain grouping. Um, and, and this is really unprecedented territory. I mean, for all people might be generally have their own misgivings about, for instance, somebody like Gwede Mantashi, his predecessor. But Gwede Mantashi said what the ANC agreed. Mm. The same cannot be said of one Ace Mahashule. I, I read an article, and I, I'm not, you, you'll know more about it than, than I do, about the runnings of the ANC, but the Secretary General runs the ANC, doesn't he? For the day-to-day functioning of the ANC, yes, he is the nuts and bolts kind of person. He is the COO of that organization. The CEO, of course, being the president of the country okay. also, um, the president of the ANC. Yeah. But yes, uh, for to the largest extent, he, he runs the, the ANC, but it is not a toy to be played around with um, at, at or, at, or for somebody's um, to manipulate. And that is the, the, con- the concern here by people right. within the ANC, is that um, he's not pronouncing on the decisions that they have taken um, accurately and fairly. There's an ongoing issue in Nigeria as well. They had the elections there. How was that covered? Nigeria will continue to have the security challenges. Mm. And you know very well in his first term of office, President Muhammadu Buhari had promised that he was going to deal with the issue of Boko Haram. Mm. But it looks like it's very difficult. And <laughs> now, second term, he has made a commitment that he's really going to deal with this issue. Mm. Uh, it remains to be seen. And also the economic challenges, the Citizens are not happy in terms of how the economy is being handled in that country, the issue of corruption. And uh, I think this time around, he must also ensure that uh, he spends most of his time in the country rather than outside the country. What can we expect in the week ahead? Week ahead, it's Sudan, Sudan, Sudan. Right. And also we'll be looking at uh, Botswana. We are uh, monitoring Botswana. You know very well that uh, there's a standoff between the current president, President Mukwetzi Masisi, and the former president, Ian Khama. Mm-hmm. Ian Khama has abandoned his party, the party that was established by his father, uh, because uh, he's saying that the party is veered off the road in terms of uh, the policies and what it stands for. Mm. And he is now supporting a new party. And 
the tension has escalated. South Africa is caught in a crossfire with accusations that uh, uh, some of uh, citizens in this country are actually taking sides. Yep. But uh, all people who are affected in South Africa have since denied those yeah. allegations. We saw uh, Patrice Mozipe even um, taking the matter to court to clear his name and also Bridget Khatebe uh, uh, also saying that uh, she has she is not involved and the Zimbabwean government weighing in because there were allegations that the meeting took place at uh, Victoria Falls. But at the end of the day, this is going to affect the relations between mm. the three countries and therefore it will be very important for the Department of International Relations and also Foreign Affairs in Zimbabwe, in Botswana to try and find a solution on this matter. Botswana are always the good country. Yeah. Botswana, they, yes, they were the, good they were the quiet. They, they were the they quiet were rich, ones. They were, they were rich. They were very. They were called the progressive democracy yeah. uh, in the region. You'd recall when Hama was still the president, he was forthright on issues of human rights violation. Mm. But others are saying back home it was a different story, and mm. that is why some are aggrieved that uh, uh, he is accusing Mukwetsi Masisi of violating the human rights, whereas he was doing the same, and this. I mean, I remember when I spoke to him two weeks ago, I asked him a question. You know that Julius Malema was bad or there were visa restrictions if he wants to visit Botswana because he made certain pronouncement. Uh, then Hama didn't take kind of. And now you have a situation that the current administration now imposing visa restrictions against uh, Bridget Khadebe, right. you know, doing the same thing. Yeah. And which brings us to... In politics, there are no permanent friends and permanent enemies. And also, politicians are like that. It depends what happens, where they are, who is involved. Keep an eye on that story. All right, what can we expect in the week ahead from the Mail and Guardian? Well, next week we're looking ahead at Sona. Sona's going to be a big thing. I mean, look, the the one thing that is going to be on radio, on television, and in newspapers daily will be what the president says. He has to give direction on a whole bunch of things which he promised and then give us updates as to where we are going as a country, as a nation. We expect the president to inspire and also to give us some idea, some, some meat also, um, as to how, the, how he is going to lead this government and our country um, out of, of this, um, you know, especially economic crisis that we face. Beyond that, though, what we at the Mail and Guardian will do is we will be looking at, at putting a, a lot more meat on that and, and speaking about the nuts and bolts of, of how we progress. Mm. The other thing that I think, um, and this is really a left field story, um, but a fantastic story done by our journalist Atandewa Saba, where she actually went into a, um, a youth detention center. Uh, some people would colloquially call it a youth prison and um, investigating what actually transpires there and how these kids end up there and, you know, is this the best way for them to be managed or treated. Some of these these, uh, people have done quite atrocious things, like, I mean, they're convicted of rape or murder and the like. And how do you then deal with these children when they have shown the propensity to actually do these most heinous things. Um, so we will be continuing in that respect and uh, as part of our series into um, youth convicts and, and youth offenders. And that, of course, comes off the back of a very popular story this past week where um, you had stabbing incident um, involving a number of kids. 
and where one child now stands with murder. Very good. Trump, Deputy Editor of the Mail and Guardian, thanks very much for joining us. Stephen McQuetta, SABC Foreign Desk Editor, thanks for coming in. Thank you. SAFM, leading the conversation. It's the Weekend View on SAFM. John Herrick in for Elvis President this morning. Our talking point today is the peer pressure is forcing youth into gangs at the Boitumaleng Township in Blumhoff in the northwest. I want to know from you what needs to be done to keep our youth safe and to encourage them to become active citizens. We've also heard about stabbings of scholars as well. What needs to be done to keep our youth safe and to encourage them to be active citizens? Get hold of us on Twitter at the Weekend View. Uh, we're on Facebook as well. Just use the hashtag The Weekend View. Also, you can leave a voice note, 082-692-3909, our WhatsApp number, 082-692-3909. Uh, from SMS, I'm not sure about this one, but I'll read it out for you. Let's militarize our country, improve military programs, and send them there. As somebody that went to the army, I'm going to disagree with you, but that's your view. The youths of today are so disoriented that they are the victims of their own miserly, it says here. They stand at corners snorting drugs. They complain, reluctant even to do menial jobs. They don't pull themselves out. The time is against them. That's from my daughter. Thank you very much. And on Facebook, Nazim Krotboom says, I don't think there is any youth who can celebrate this day or month because of unemployment. Let's move on to Africa now. Several UN Security Council members have expressed their support for the African Union-led process in Sudan and urged the parties to return to the negotiating table. In a meeting of the council to discuss the uh, the drawdown of the UN peacekeeping mission in Darfur, council members raised their concerns about the developments in the capital Khartoum and the alarm raised by senior UN officials of reports of attacks, including mass rapes of protesters and women's rights defenders by security forces and paramilitaries. UN experts have also warned that the country is sliding into a human rights abyss. Russia and Kuwait objected to council members raising what it's called an internal matter and called for Sudan's sovereignty to be respected. Show and Bryce Pease reports. The context of this meeting was to discuss the timeline for the drawdown and withdrawal of the UN peacekeeping mission in Darfur. A council resolution passed last year provides a time frame with a view towards the exit of the mission by June 30th next year, but several council members believe continued human rights abuses and developments in the capital demand a rethink of that drawdown and handover of UN sites to an authority that continues to have questions around its legitimacy. South African diplomat Martinez van Skalkveik called for the Transitional Military Council to return to internal dialogue under the auspices of the AU and IGAD. In this regard, we welcome the efforts of Ethiopia's Prime Minister, Dr. Abiy Ahmed, Chair of the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, IGAD, for bringing the parties back to the negotiating table. This approach is consistent with the approach of the AU communique of 6 June 2019, it is key that the Sudanese chart their own path of peace devoid of interference. This is also vital to ensure that the substantial progress in peace building achieved in Darfur is not reversed. We also welcome all efforts, all other efforts being undertaken at bilateral level. Several Western countries called for transparent investigations into the targeting of protesters by security forces. Ambassador Jonathan Allen is the UK's Deputy Permanent Representative. We note that today the Transitional Military Council has acknowledged the violations committed by the security services on the 3rd of June and have said that an investigation is underway. 
The United Kingdom urges the military authorities to ensure that this investigation is transparent and ensures the accountability uh, that the uh, military authorities have uh, as a responsibility to deliver for the Sudanese people. French Ambassador and Deputy Permanent Representative Anne Guggen called for the facts around the abuses by authorities to be established. La France demande que toute la lumière soit faite. France asks for all light to be shed on the exactions that have been committed, including sexual violence, following the very worrying communique issued by Pramila Patton, and asks that those responsible be brought to justice. Mr. President, currently what is at stake is the resumption of political dialogue and a negotiated transition towards a civilian-led government in the Sudan. We call upon all parties to resume negotiations to show level-headedness, openness, and to pursue compromises. But Russia, supported by Kuwait, objected to the inclusion of the political situation in Khartoum being included in the meeting on Darfur. Russian Deputy Permanent Representative Ambassador Dmitry Polyansky. We are surprised to note that a number of our colleagues around this table are using this agenda item not to discuss the parameters for the withdrawal of a peacekeeping operation, but to voice their assessments of the domestic political situation in the Sudan. Although, in the Security Council press statement that was agreed literally a few days ago, and also in the African Union communique, there is a clear appeal for people to restrain from any external interference. It seems that those sections of the communique are what our Western colleagues have decided to ignore. I would like to underscore that we believe that the resolution of the internal crisis in the country is a matter for the Sudanese people themselves. Sudan's representative in the meeting also objected to the inclusion of the political situation in the country in a meeting on Darfur. He told council members that the Transitional Military Council would shortly be announcing the findings of an investigation into the violence in Khartoum and promised to hold perpetrators accountable. The African Union, for its part, has suspended Sudan from the organization and given the Military Council a June 30th deadline for a return to a civilian-led authority. I'm Sherwin Bryce-Pease in New York. That's just about the program today. Well done to the Sharks and the Bulls advancing to the playoffs of Super Rugby. South Africa beating Afghanistan by nine wickets at the Cricket World Cup yesterday. Australia also winning. Today, probably the biggest cricket match in the, in, well, in the world. India against Pakistan, starting at half past 11. Thanks to the team, Sasanda Jonas, technical producer, Ditron Godfrey. Evelyn Tungwani was the senior producer. Aubrey Sechi is the executive producer. Up next, the news with Stephen Kirker. Uh, Michelle Constant is up after that. Have yourself a lovely Sunday and a happy Father's Day.